right. We are in a sermon series called Resolving Everyday Conflict uh, because conflict is a fact of life, no matter where you are. Here's where we've been, where we're going. Last week was my pause. We talked about taking a tactical pause or counting to 10 and what they used to say. Today, we're going to talk about my part. Next week, Alex Lupo, and then finally, his plan as we resolve everyday conflict. Now, my history with conflict goes back from my earliest memory. I have to tell you, I want to take you back to a time when I was a child. My childhood was uh, pretty much this. So I was uh, raised in a family of all boys, and I was the youngest. So you can imagine what that goes like. If you've raised boys, you know what that's like, right? So my hobbies are running and martial arts, right? If the running didn't work out, we relied on the martial arts. So, so this was my childhood growing up. Lots of conflict. My, my understanding of conflict started very early on. And I don't know uh, how your parents handle this or if this is even still a thing, but I remember that when dad got home, that was when the conflict was resolved, period. And this is the way that it went. Hey, you two, shake hands, tell them you're sorry. Sorry. Something, do people still do that? Is that a thing? Do you make people shake hands and say it's over? Is that, okay, that's still a thing? Okay, good, good. So it's not too far out of date, right? But, but did that really resolve the conflict? No. My, my brother, who is uh, very gifted with words and is now a lawyer, I remember one time when dad said, shake his hand, say you're sorry. He goes, I'm sorry that you're an idiot. <laughs> so, I was young, but I was thinking, I don't think that's the way that's supposed to go. And uh, yeah, dad had some more words with him afterwards. So uh, he's a great defense attorney, man. He can get out of anything. Anyway, so... <laughs> So, yeah, that's not the way that it's supposed to go, and it's, it's forced. It's, it's something that kids do, right? But it doesn't really resolve the conflict. Now, here's God's sense of humor. I was raised in a family of all boys. I grew up, had my own family of all girls. <laughs> Did you know that boys and girls are different? Because here's the thing. When boys argue, it gets to the point where eventually you pound on each other, you roll around in the grass, and then you're done. And that's pretty much it. I don't remember any single thing that we ever fought about. I remember rolling around, but I don't remember what we fought about. Now, girls, that's a different thing, right? Having three girls, I know that it's 30 years later, they will still bring things up. It does not die. It's like, you know, the resurrected argument or feud. It just does not die. So yeah, they're different, right? And you know how it goes. So what we're going to do today is take a look at how we can resolve conflict because shake the hand and say you're sorry works when you're a kid, but it doesn't work when you're an adult, right? And now, now you may say, well, when we're adults, we don't really have those conflicts. <laughs> what world are you living in? <laughs> Let me tell you where I've seen some of the um, most interesting conflicts. Anybody take a guess where I've seen the most interesting conflicts? Who said Church church. You would think of all people who could get along, it would be church people. Now, I'm not saying this about words, sir. This is some other church that I serve. But church conflicts are some of the most interesting because you go in with the assumption that there will be no conflict because we all love each other. We're all part of a family. Let me ask you, you're part of a family. Do you never have conflict in your family? No. So why would you expect to never have conflict in church? It's just the way that we're wired. Now, like I said last week, conflict is an opportunity. An opportunity to resolve and reconcile actually can make us stronger than when we started. 
So I don't want you to shy away from this, but I also want us to understand what it is that we need to do to start resolving this conflict. So we're going to do a quick exercise. I want you to visualize in your mind a conflict that you either have right now, one that's kind of like the kind of gets under your skin, maybe keeps you up at night a little bit, or one big one that you've had in the past. So visualize that conflict that you're either having or have had in the past. Have you got it in your mind? All right, now let me ask you, what picture are you seeing right now? Are you seeing a person? I'm on, I'm on. Are you seeing a person? <laughs> Yes. What person are you seeing? Stepdad, relative, co-worker, anybody else? <laughs> A bold call spouse from the front row. Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing that I notice about when I say conflict, you picture a person, nobody said myself. And here's the thing, peace begins with me. So until we understand that I have a part of resolving this conflict, my part of resolving this conflict is to focus on me and my part in the conflict, we're never going to resolve it. So hopefully by the end of the time that we're talking together and I say, I want you to picture a conflict that you're in right now, and if a person comes to mind, I want it to be you. Because peace begins with me. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's take Jesus' word for it. So in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, this is what Jesus says. It would probably help if I turn my Bible right side up. Jesus is talking, this is uh, part of a, a litany of sayings of wisdom that he's dropping here. So this is what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Jesus doesn't mince words. Jesus is basically saying right here that conflict resolution starts with me, with the person. He's saying that you're looking at this other person and not recognizing how big a part that you may be playing in this. And that's the, the challenge, right? You would know if you had a log in your eye. That Jesus is using hyperbole here, clearly. But he's making the point, you're not seeing your own thing in this conflict. You're looking at a speck, and you're, not, you're looking right past the log that's in your own eye. So he, he's saying you've got to start with you. Now, here's the interesting thing. First of all, Anybody who thinks Jesus is a, a, you know, a fluffy, giant teddy bear doesn't really understand Jesus because he doesn't mince words. He says right here, you hypocrite. That's pretty blunt, right? But notice Jesus' motive. Jesus' motive is not just to tear people down. It's to actually help in this conflict resolution. It's to help in this idea of reconciliation. So when he says that, he, he, his motive is love, even if it might come off a little bit harsh. But here's the thing that always fascinates me. Oh, well, I got a log in my eye, you got a speck in your eye, therefore I should never talk to anyone else about behavior problems or issues that we're having. Not true. Listen, to, listen one more time. This is right in front of our face, but it will read right over it and miss it. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. 
See, the goal is speckless. Specklessness. I like that word. I just made it up. Right? Our goal is specklessness. So no specks whatsoever. Now, does that mean that we're going to go picking at each other, that we judge each other? No. This idea of judgment is probably worth a whole sermon series sometimes. But what it does do is say we can talk to each other about behaviors that are causing conflict. And we should. We're accountable to one another. It's called loving accountability. And it's a foreign concept in the world that we live in. But it's not a foreign concept to the church. So we need to learn how to do that. And it starts with us. So how do we take this on individually? Well, we're going to go to the Psalms. Psalm 139 right here. It's a beautiful psalm if you read it all the way through, but we're just going to focus on the last two verses of it. This is the psalmist praying. He says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Don't you find it interesting that the psalmist, who probably better than most, knows that there is a God and knows how majestic God is. We just read another psalm that says, how majestic is your name in all the earth? The psalmist knows who God is. Why is he telling God to know my heart? God already knows my heart. God already knows everything. Why is he asking about testing and knowing my anxious thoughts? He already knows them. See, it's not about God knowing them. It's about God revealing them to me. What is the problem in my heart? What are the anxious thoughts? What are the offensive ways in me? So you've got to be careful when you pray a prayer like that because God's going to illuminate things that you may not like to see in yourself. But it's a necessary part of that first step of conflict resolution. So see if there's any offensive way in me. Now let me clarify, see if there's any offensive way. That means offensive to God, not offensive to somebody else or to culture or to anything else. It's just about offense to God or not. If there's any offensive way in me, remove that. Bring me back in alignment and reconciliation with you. And notice we're doing the same thing that we did last week. We're starting here. We're starting to reconcile with God so that we can reconcile with neighbor. Nothing changes in this. And finally, he says, lead me in the way everlasting. This isn't a temporary thing. This conflict resolution is an eternal thing. So it has consequences. It has ramifications for us. Now, some people will say, well, that's just down the line. I don't need to worry about that right now. Mm, No, not really. It is down the line. Eternity is. But you know what else it does? It brings peace right now. It brings togetherness right now. It brings that sense of belonging I talked about right now but not if we don't take advantage of it. So that's what we have to be careful to do. Now, what do we do with this? Um, When your kids, and notice I had girls shaking hands. (laughs) That was just a picture I found, nothing intended. But this handshake thing works for kids, and it'll squelch it as long as the authority is there to make sure that they don't have conflict, but it's not going to work for us. So we have to do something else, and here's what we're going to do today. We're going to blank out the screens and see if Bill can remember the whole list. That's what we're going to do. Oh, thank God. No. <laughs> now what? We're going to ask for God's help. Just like the psalmist said, search me, God, know my heart. In other words, do this self-examination so I can see my part of this conflict. And then we're going to take responsibility. Now, I know from personal experience, me, and from personal experience in conflict with others, that nobody wants to own that they have a part of the conflict. Nobody wants to say, I was wrong. 
I messed up, none of that. Or you may say, well, I was wrong, but I was only 2% wrong. 98%'s on them. Okay, well, here's my deal with you. If you're 2% wrong, take 100% responsibility to address that 2%. How's that? Fair deal? <laughs> Whatever our part of it is, we're going to take responsibility and look at how we can resolve this. Now, in the book, Resolving Everyday Conflict, which is up here, uh, Ken somebody and Kevin somebody else, uh, <laughs> the book's up there. If you want more material on this, this book might be a good read for you. But they walk through what they call the seven A's of a good confession. Now, confession uh, is just like what it sounds. After you have something revealed to you, you need to say that to someone else. If you realize that you're wrong, you need to tell the person you wronged that I was wrong. So here's how to, how to do this. First step is address everyone involved. Your confession should cover the same amount of people that your sin covered. That's a good rule of thumb. If it's one-on-one, -on -one, there you go. If I offend the entire church, uh, my confession needs to go out to the entire church. And oh, by the way, here's my chance for a blanket approval. If I've offended any of you, I'm sorry. Please let me know so I can do my part to fix my part in the conflict. So address everyone involved. <clears throat> Number two, avoid if, but, and maybe. How many of you have given a, a toxic confession? Like, I'm sorry that you're an idiot, right? <laughs> I shouldn't have said what I did, but I was tired. It's an excuse, right? So here's the interesting word about uh, interesting thing about the word but. It erases everything that goes before it. Have you noticed this? I shouldn't have said that, but I was tired. I, I, I shouldn't have come off like that, but I was hangry. I shouldn't have come off like that, but you're stupid. <laughs> it erases everything before that, right? So we got to watch our... <laughs> I almost said it. We have to watch using the word, but... All right. If you put conditions on this... Now, I, I wouldn't have been wrong if this had been better. Uh, if you had just listened, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have gone off like that. No, we are responsible for our own behavior. We can't change what happens, but we can change how we react to what happens. So we have to eliminate if and but, and maybe puts conditions on it. Maybe I said something that offended you. No, if they're red in the face and that vein is sticking out of their forehead, they're offended. You said something that offended them. There's no maybe about it. Now, you may not agree that it's offensive, but here's your opportunity to learn more, and we'll see how. Admit specifically, if you know that you did something wrong, it's like, here's the difference. Um, I, I know I haven't been a good friend. Okay, that's pretty general. Uh, and <laughs> you probably come to mind with like 10 other things that I didn't even think about. But admit specifically, hey, you know when I said that thing about you and you weren't there? That was wrong. I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I hope you'll forgive me. That's specific. That way they know exactly that you're tracking what exactly is going on. So admit specifically when you have that. Acknowledge the hurt. I'm not saying that, you know, like most people, I don't say most people, a lot of people have thick skin. They don't even think about things that roll off their tongue, but some don't. So we have to honor their, their, the weaker brothers and sisters, as Scripture would say. We have to bring them alongside. Now, that doesn't mean we have to pander to them, but we have to acknowledge if we've stepped on somebody's toes, our goal is to try to reconcile. 
So acknowledge the hurt. If you're not sure how they're hurt, here's a great technique. Ask them, hey, when I talked about you and you weren't there, how did that impact you? And then listen. You may be amazed at what you hear. And just the fact that you ask them to tell you and you're willing to listen already is building a bridge that's stronger than what you had before. So acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. It, sometimes uh, things happen and there are consequences. That's a fact of life. And so trying to dodge the consequences is another way of saying, I didn't really do anything wrong. I shouldn't be punished. I shouldn't have to accept the consequence. So acknowledge the consequence. And that also makes your apology or your efforts, uh, overtures at reconciliation more believable. If you're willing to take the consequence, that means you're serious about reconciling. Alter your behavior. Am I saying stop being you? No. What I'm saying is, have you ever run across those people? It's like, yeah, I blew my top, but that's just the way I am. Well, that's a pretty rotten way to be. Uh, I don't know how that's going to serve you well in this world. And if you're a Jesus follower, we're called to reflect his character, not our genetic anger gene, right? Or whatever it is. So this is a chance to be different. When we say life is different on the banner back there, this is what makes life different. We don't react like the rest of the world. So alter the behavior so that it looks more like Christ. That would be the, the rest of that sentence. And finally, ask for forgiveness and allow time. People may not accept your apology. People may not forgive you. But if you've done everything in your power, if you've done the seven A's of a good confession, you're good with God. And, and maybe over time, you'll be good with them again. Now, I'm not saying that you, know, you just blow them off and you never have contact with them again. But if you're good with God and they're good with God, eventually you're both going to be good with God. It just takes some time. Sometimes it's hard for people to get over those hurts. So these are the seven A's of a good confession. Um, and then finally, the, the golden rule, as you go forward from this, these have all sounded kind of negative, like we've messed up and we're trying to do damage control. But here's a more proactive approach to living. You've all heard of the golden rule. It's actually out of Scripture, Matthew 7, 12, and everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This is stuff we learned in kindergarten. This is stuff we learned when we were still told to shake hands and make up with one another. But it's still true. And there's a, a golden rule, but there's also a golden result. If we do the golden rule, the result is then people will treat us the way we want to be treated. And there will probably be less conflict going forward. Shaking hands and making up is a great way to end a conflict when you're a kid. But we're not kids anymore. Or are we? It depends. So this is an opportunity. If we have a childlike approach to conflict, then we're going to get childlike results. And it's going to simmer. And it's going to reflect in the body of Christ. And if we want the image of Christ to be someone who nitpicks, if we want the image of Christ to be someone who can't get along as a body, then let's keep that up. But if we want to show the world who Christ really is, as I understand in these pages of Scripture, then we've got to do our part in resolving this conflict. That's the way this whole thing works. That's the opportunity in the conflict. And until we do that, the world won't really see Christ. They'll just see another body of people that looks a lot like the rest of the world where life is not different. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to a life that is different.
So as we go forward out of here, my prayer is that we would take a second, recognize our part, and begin to work where we can control things in us. Let that be the first step in the opportunity of resolution and reconciliation.